It's now 2023. So put away all those unwanted Christmas gifts because the gift you really needed is right here. Yes, it's the film file. The film show for film geeks by film geeks. Hit the music. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. I'm still Andy Meakin. And we've survived the period known as Christmas. Intact, kinder, uh, and happy to be back doing The Film File. How you been, Andy? Happy New Year to you, mate. Uh, well, as you know, before we broke for the new, for the Christmas period, I wasn't well. Um, yeah, well, I bumped into your wife while we were out, and she said, oh, Andy's been really poorly, so much so that he's not been into work, which I was thinking... <laughs> that never happens. Yep, I phoned in sick for the very first time in twenty years. Um, I've ne- I'm never sick. I never take days off sick. I soldier through. I'm never in such a bad state that I can't get into work. But it's one of them. I, I felt bad the day before, and I went home early. And I thought if I rest up, I'll be fine. I got up the next morning for me early shift, and I was awake at like five o'clock. And it took me until half past six to get as far as putting my socks on. It was that oh, much no. of a struggle. And at that point, it was like, I don't think we're going to be able to make it in. It was like, I'm the opening manager. But I know I knew that the boss was also in at the same time. But sometimes if he knows that there's another manager in, he'll come in a bit later. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to have to do this, but I'm going to have to like phone in sick. So I sent him a message and watched to see whether he got the message. And 10 minutes later, he hadn't even read it. And it was like, I'm going to have to phone him up. At the, and I hate phoning people at that time yeah, yeah. of morning. And so I phoned him up. And as soon as, he, as, soon as he, he answered, he kind of knew what was happening. I was like, I'm doing something which I've not done for two decades. He just started laughing. He said, are you taking a day off? I was like, I think I need to. I can't move. Um, I was just laid out on the couch in a right state. It was, I was shivering. I had four layers of clothes on and two blankets, and I was shivering with sweat pouring off me. It was horrible. That's dreadful. It sounds absolutely dreadful. I, I've had a really good friend of mine. His wife has ended up in hospital, which, which started out as flu. Ended up in hospital in a really bad way. I, I mean, really bad way, almost mm. critical care way. Thought it was uh, flu, but it uh, um, looks like it ended up becoming pneumonia. Uh, and and it's still in hospital now. I've had a hacking cough for three weeks, which is just not getting any mm. better. It's not improving whatsoever. But, you know, well, I'm glad to know that you're okay. And uh, the uh, turkey soup that you had on Christmas Day, rather than the <laughs> dinner with all the trimmings, um, uh, wasn't what you expected. Well, I was lucky that I was getting back to some kind of normality by Christmas, but other people at work I felt sorry for because they started to feel the effects that I was getting by Christmas Eve, which meant that they spent Christmas wrapped up sweating profusely, trying to drink loads of fluids and feeling miserable. So it, it's it's been a bad year for it and it, it just it's just hit everyone and there's so many people that i know who've like had this sudden massive flu right which you know even though everyone who i know who's tested to make sure has flagged up as zero for covid i'm still convinced it's another strain of it that the, the test can't pick up because yeah. it had the same kind of symptoms it was that same real heavy weight on my chest and you remember when i had covid i was unfortunate enough to have it during my week off yeah, so, yeah. time gets <laughs> so poorly uh, this, uh, I mean, this generally happens to me. I'm usually ill on my weeks off, which is why I never have days off work. Because if I'm going to be sick, I'm always sick when it's my own time, so I can't do anything. Well, I think it's because people relax, don't they? It always gets to when people yeah. finish work or they're on holiday. That's when it when it um, and it kicks in. But other than that, Andy, 
were you on the were the nice or the naughty list this year? I was on the nice list. Oh, uh, I, got, I got I got the usual like typical gifts that I I expect and I love getting you know things like board games and card games and stuff like that. So it's been fun. We had a very reserved New Year. You'll know that normally my New Year's is like a group of people around the house up until like two o'clock in the morning playing board games and drinking. This year, uh, because my niece is quite young, my sister wasn't going to come round and like run late, so they came round earlier in the afternoon. And a couple of friends came round in the early evening. But by the time it got to 10 o'clock, there was just me, Kerry, and the kids. Oh, that's nice. And me and me and uh, my daughter ended up playing Goat Simulator 3 on the PlayStation <laughs> past midnight. And that was how we celebrated New Year. And it was just a nice, relaxing family one. After so many years of hosting something, it actually felt quite kind of refreshing to have a New Year's where we could just chill out and relax and just watch a film. And We hosted. By the way, we hosted. Oh, did you we have had, a party this uh, year? Yeah, we just had friends over, uh, friends and, yeah. and their kids. Um, we just had uh, had food, played some games. It was low key, but it was it was nice low key. Uh, it was nice not going somewhere because most New Year's are usually gone somewhere. So yeah. I mean that one of us had to drive, but it gave an opportunity to to, to stay at home, which was nice. And, and when you kick people out, you go right. Going to bed. Watch other people's fireworks. That's it. I'm done. We'll be intending to go back to the hosting of like gatherings again next year, but this year was just a nice time out. Uh, but we've watched watched a lot of films over the Christmas period, but a lot of them I've watched for the second time, and there've been repeat viewings, uh, such as uh, my wife and daughter had not seen Knives Out, let alone Glass Onion. So we did a double bill and um, my daughter absolutely loved it. Now, I've told you before now that she can be irritating when watching a film and she'll start pointing out tropes and start second guessing things and talking throughout it. And I sometimes have to tell her to shut up. Knives out. She was quiet all the way through because she was just engrossed. I was like, this works for her. If, if people have been listening to our uh, fill-in episodes during Christmas where we've looked at our sort of top five each, for uh, movies that we enjoyed over 2022, missing from that list because I didn't see it until Boxing Day was was Glass Onion, which I thought was superb. Oh, it's so much fun! Second time round was was even more fun because now that I knew where it was all leading, I could start spotting. And he did it with Knives Out that you can spot all the little hints and all the clues early on. It's the same with Glass Onion that you can spot every reaction that should be that reaction at that point. Absolutely marvelous! Great storytelling. And I can't wait for the third film. Don't know what what record he's going to name it after because we know that Knives Out is a Radiohead song and Glass Onion is the Beatles song. What's he going to do next? Paint It Black. I'm calling it now. It's going to be called Paint It Black. Um, uh, just just sticking with uh, Ryan Johnson, I'm looking forward to his his other creation that he's bringing to Netflix, which is uh, the one starring Natasha Leon. Mm. Uh, Poker Face, we're talking of yes. uh, song titles. Um, he, he certainly likes his song titles, doesn't he? That's on our radar for this year. Yeah, 10-episode series about to introduce an all-new Ryan Johnson detective, yep. Charlie Kale, a sleuth with an uncanny ability to detect when someone is lying to her. So... Uh, we'll keep you updated on that as we hear when it's out. Uh, and then we'll keep you updated on all the film stuff because we've got so much coming out this year. Oh, it's a busy year. I mean, there's not just the blockbusters. There's the ones under the radar that we're going to try to stay on top of and bring people's awareness to, either by talking about trailers, which we'll have a few in the news today, that two in particular that I want to talk about uh, this week, or just the general buzz and gossip because we don't want you to just go out there and watch the Marvels and DCs of the world. We like to think that you are going to listen to us when we're telling you to go to see Wes Anderson's Asteroid City or Barbie, etc. You know, we're both excited for Barbie now. Now that Lee's seen a trailer, he's, as exci- <laughs> he's almost as excited I am, as me. I am. Count me in. Um, yeah, it's looking good. Over Christmas, I noticed the streaming services 
had quite a lot of content drops, which has kind of slowed us down for this start of the year because there's not been a lot of film drops at the cinema. And so clamoring for something to bring to the show this week to review was literally a last minute scrabble. Uh, but looking at the streaming services, is it just me or is Disney Plus now the best streaming service? Yeah, I mean, I watched uh, Strange World. Yeah. Which I thought was marvellous. Yeah. Uh, I wish I'd seen it on the big screen. Yeah, it, it's, it's a great... It reminds me so much of like those classic adventures like Journey to the Centre of the Earth and Land That Time Forgot kind of elements. And even Disney stuff like, like Atlantis, which was highly underrated. Yeah, that, I mean, that's another one that kind of disappeared. Um, on release but you look at I mean Disney Plus now is it's quite amusing when you see things like Banshees of Inner Sheer and Barbarian and Menu which all dropped last month on there yeah and made our top 10 list for the year yeah Disney Plus is the service and it's because of all the Fox content that you get in there and the fact that they're including it in there yeah watch Banshees again actually I, I want to watch that again I still want to watch the menu again but I want to sit and watch it with uh, my daughter because I think she'll absolutely appreciate it so wait for the opportunity to slam that on and go <laughs> get this watched this is great so there is so much coming up for next year whether it's uh oppenheimer or it's um cocaine bear did you see the trailer for that <laughs> that was crazy that was bonkers uh the marvels spider-man across the spider-verse guardians of the galaxy indiana jones uh and the dial of destiny uh another screen movie another equalizer movie the another flash Transformers movie another what Transformers movie. Another Transformers movie. Uh, Shazam. So much so much for everyone uh, and so much that you are hopefully going to be interested in. So for our Mastodon challenge for the first one of 2023, what film are you looking forward to the most or what films can't you wait for? You have to, have to be careful when you say what films because as we know, some of the Mastodon responders will then do like a 14-page list basically the whole lot of the release dates <laughs> but i mean to be fair that's probably going to be what my list is going to look like because yeah. there's so much so much on my radar from may through to august there's not a week goes by that there's not something on that list that i need to see and even this month has quite a few coming up that i am desperate to see yes so get in touch with us via mastodon and let us know the film that you are looking forward to the most is it going to be june part two John Wick 4, Teen Wolf, the movie. I don't know. You tell us. Uh, do we know how well we did on Mastodon before we broke up? I can't remember. Uh, the one that we did before we broke up was asking what everyone's go-to Christmas Eve or Christmas Day film is. And it was always going to be the same responses, wasn't it? Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life and Die Hard. That's okay. pretty much the responses that we got because, of course, it is. I mean, I know that I have my obscure ones. I have Anna and the Apocalypse, which, if you've still not seen it, you really need to watch Anna and the Apocalypse. And I also have me um, Harold and Kumar Very 3D Christmas, which I watch every year. But in amongst them, I always watch It's a Wonderful Life myself. So I completely get that Christmas, for most people, is Die Hard and It's a Wonderful Life. Well, for me, it's a Christmas story. And I did catch up with uh, A Christmas Story Christmas, which was the sequel, which, uh, boy, was I nervous about. Um, the returning cast were all there, but it was a sequel. And these sort of legacy sequels that happen... 20, 30 years after the event can be a little bit frightening. But you know what? Absolutely uh, charming little movie. Really, really was. Never as good as, as A Christmas Story, which is which is kind of special and has now become a, a favourite in our house. 
but I, I was pleased that the the sequel was really touching in, a, in an entirely different way. And oh boy, I was nervous. Ten minutes in, I thought this is going to absolutely uh, spoil uh, the the honor of the original. But but it was great. That was it was really nice to know. So I've got something. No, I tell you what, I'm not going to go back to it. I don't think I ever will in the same way yeah. that Christmas Story did. But it was it was well worth it. It was a great addition. Didn't let me down at all. This is going to be the second year in the room that I disappoint you by saying I've never seen a Christmas Story. Uh, you, you've got all all of next year to um, to, to catch. <laughs> we'll up. add it for a deep dive in December. Yeah. Can we wait <laughs> that long? Me when we get closer to the date? <laughs> I'm not watching a Christmas movie any other time of the year, so it's going to have to wait until December. I think I think we can wait. <laughs> so what have we got for you on our first show of 2023? Well, of course, we'll have the news. We will have the box office. Is Avatar Way of Water still the tidal tyrant at the top, or is Megan going to be the one kicking its ass? We've got reviews of... Medieval. Piggy, which is on limited release at the cinemas at the moment, and The Pale Blue Eye, which landed on Netflix this past week. We'll be doing our first deep dive of the year into James Cameron, because it's all about James Cameron at the moment, and the classic True Lies. But of course, before any of that, we've got this week's The News. So first off, the box office with Avatar The Way of Water Still remaining at number one for a fourth week in a row after passing 500 million uh, domestically. But isn't Megan kind of creeping up with all her doll-like terror uh, on Cameron's... Um, we weren't sure whether he was going to do it, but uh, it looks like he is produced and delivered as well. Deep down inside, we all kind of suspected he would. Yeah, so it was a close-fought battle for the start of the weekend with Avatar, Way of Water and new release Megan battling for that first place spot in the US. But by the end of the weekend, Avatar retained its top spot again for the fourth weekend. 45.8 million is taken this weekend. Worldwide, it's now up to 1.7 billion, which has far outstripped what Top Gun Maverick did after just four weeks. Megan, which was predicted to open for about 20 million, actually finished much stronger than that with 30.4 million, showing that horror, in this case in the US, it's been rated PG 13, which means it's a family friendly horror. Not so much in the UK, so be ready to be turned away if you're taking anyone under the age of 15. Obviously, the lower rating helped secure a good bit more buzz at the box office. Puss in Boots The Last Wish is still going quite strong in the US. It's taken another 13.5 million. It's now worldwide up to 201 million, which makes it more than successful. A Man Called Otto is in fourth place with 4.2 million, and Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, still sneaking a small bit of money week on week to just slowly take its total up. It took another 3.5 million this weekend, which means it's now on a worldwide total of 831 million. In the UK, it's no surprise to say that Avatar Way of Water is number one again. £5.9 million it's took this weekend. Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody is in at number two on its second weekend. £1.4 million this weekend. It's up to £6.3 million from the UK. Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical still getting a lot of love from British audiences. We don't have it on Netflix like the rest of the world. It'll be coming later in the year. £1.2 million this weekend. It's in third place. A Man Called Otto in fourth place with £1.1 million. And Andre Ryu in Dublin 2023, the recorded live event for this year. Andre Ryu concerts always bring in an audience. Avatar literally took three weeks 
to overtake Maverick. Um, it passed Maverick's box office total on the last day of its three weeks, first three weeks out. And like we said before we broke, before Christmas, when we said we need to see whether it holds over, it has held over well, just like the first film did. Will it make the two billion? Still not convinced on that. I think it will slow down around about 1.8. But you'll remember that my initial predictions was between 1.4 to 1.6. Yeah, I mean, it's not had a lot of competition, to be perfectly honest, over the Christmas period. There's nothing been snapping at its blue heels, has there? No, um, even the Whitney Houston biopic, which has done good, hasn't really set the world afire in the same way that, say, Bohemian Rhapsody did, which got released at the similar period. It seems that more people latched onto Queen's biopic than um, Whitney Houston's one. But the, it's worth saying that the Whitney Houston biopic is holding over quite well week on week, so I think it's one of those slow burner films. Uh, but James Cameron has now confirmed that Avatar 4 and 5 are a big possibility now. Yeah, because he, he he wasn't too sure, was he? Or we no, he wasn't, sure. he wasn't sure. I mean, it, there was this whole quote about the two billion mark, which uh, caused a lot of confusion because it was quoted that he'd said it needed to get past two billion in order to be successful, which he's clarified it saying, I never actually gave it a number. I said it has to be amongst the highest grossing films in history. And somebody else applied that number and it got picked up. The number is actually less. And we'd spoken about it on the show and said that with a production budget of about 350 million, you'd be looking at about 1.1 billion and it'll be profit after the advertising expenditure, the marketing and the cinema share of the takings. And it's well and truly past that. And that met, that was going to be the deciding factor if this is profitable as to whether or not the third film gets edited to complete everything or four and five can go into pre-production. So he's now getting ready with that. And in his words, it looks like with the momentum that the film now has, that will easily pass or break even in the next few days. So it looks like I can't wiggle out of this and I'm going to have to do these other sequels. I know what I'm going to be doing for the next six or seven years. In his jokey way, which obviously, whenever Cameron does a little jokey manner thing like that, people say, oh, he actually hates these films he's doing because people don't get context. But he's spoken further about where things stand with the franchise. Uh, The point is, we're going to be okay. I'm sure we'll have a discussion soon with the top folks at Disney about the game plan going forward for Avatar 3, which is already in the can. We've already captured and photographed the whole film, so we're in extended post-production to do all the CG magic. And then Avatar 4 and Avatar 5 are both written. We even have some of 4 already in the can, because they've sneakily filmed some elements from 4 already. Uh, We've begun a franchise at this point. We've begun a saga that can now play out over multiple films. Now, it's still not sure, because at one point he was saying that he might not direct 4 and 5. He might might take a production role and let someone else take it over. So it's still not sure whether he will be directly involved. But it sounds as well like he's leaning more that it's his baby and he wants to continue crafting it. So don't be surprised if he sticks around for it himself. I I mean, you've got to consider one element, though, of Avatar. And with three is pretty much in the bag. Most of, of what's been happening over the last several years has been updating the technology. Yeah, that's where a lot of the expense came for the making of the film. Because once that's done, you're not shooting it like a regular movie. You're, you're basically creating an animated movie. Yep. So you've got, I've got actors who can come in and shoot, and there's, there's, you know, there's only one or two camera setups there's no huge lighting that you would on a uh, on a traditional movie you are basically shooting your actors almost like a stage play they come on yeah. they deliver their, deliver their lines there's no right we wrap that scene let's take it from this angle or that angle there's multiple cameras all around the, the set and once the actors are done they're kind of done 
Yeah, which keeps the budget smaller. So whilst this second film was three hundred and fifty million to make, the next one might only come in about under two hundred million. Yeah, because it's all it's all the effects and the uh, animation work. If the films start to see diminishing returns, that's fine. They've got about a billion worth of diminishing returns that they can get away with before it no longer becomes profitable. So I think it's pretty much going to be a certainty that the Walt Disney executives are going to go, yeah, make the fourth and fifth. And Disney themselves have had a stellar year for 2022. Yeah. The final numbers came in and they topped the global box office, pulling in 4.9 billion worldwide, 2 billion of it in the US alone and 2.9 billion overseas which is the seventh consecutive year that Disney has been number one at the global box office. They've held this title since 2016, and they've managed that with only three of their films getting releases in China, Avatar, Way of Water, Death on the Nile, and Encanto. They've also kept four out of the top eight movies of 2022, both domestically and worldwide, along with six films debuting at number one in North America and an estimated 27% of the domestic market share. Uh, the biggest winners, of course, were Avatar Way of Water. By the end of 2022, it was on the $1.3 billion. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which wasn't the poor performer that everyone said it was because it got to $956 million. Black Panther, $817 million. Thor Love and Thunder, $761 million. And Lightyear, $226 million. It definitely shows that, you know, Disney are the heavyweights. And that's not even taken into consideration. Things like Death on the Nile, which came from their Fox stable. The Menu, which took 72 million. Barbarian, 45 million. Universal Pictures were in second place with 3.9 billion taken worldwide this year. It's been a solid year for Disney. And this next year ahead, it's Disney and Fox products that are the big focuses. And I think that I think they'll probably do it again by the end of this year. We know that Paramount had a great year. They didn't have a lot of releases. But when you've got Maverick coming along with just like just under 1.5 billion, you've had a great year. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it says something to the worth of cinema, which we are always, always talking about. Yep. Because at Disney this year, their lineup includes at least four films that should perform well. We've got Ant-Man next, next month. We've got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We've got The Little Mermaid. We've got the Indiana Jones film. And then there's Pixar's Elemental. There's an, a Poirot film, Haunting in Venice, animated film Wish, and Taika Waititi's Next Goal wins. So they've got a really good, diverse slate again this year. Tanya, when they bought Fox, we were under, undersure about how it was going to pan out, but it seems to have worked for them. Okay, so what are the news do we have? Let's talk about two trailers that landed this past week and both got me very excited. <laughs> the first one, Evil Dead Rise. Yeah, I caught that this morning before we started recording because uh, I kind of thought, hey, I ought to. And the chances are that we would probably talk about it. I've got to say, I wasn't disappointed. I love that. I've loved all the Evil Dead films. I loved Bruce Campbell as Ash. I loved the jokey nature, but the over-the-top horror theatrics. And then I really loved Freddy Alvarez's reinterpretation of the Evil Dead, which was kind of a reboot, a sequel. It wasn't it wasn't a remake. It just played with the with the formula, and which has become yep. kind of kind of a thing now. And it it brought it back to being purely horror it took away the like over-the-top comedy which would you know the ash versus the evil dead series picked up the the comedy aspects with ash character and we had that to tell that story but it was great to see a horror interpretation of it but with this one we're moving away from cabin in the woods and and medieval castles yep it's going to a high-rise apartment buildings and family drama as a mother starts to get possessed by the evil dead spirits and wants to take over the rest of the family and it looks messed up. Yeah, yeah. That's one way to describe it. Messed up. There you go. That's what it should sound the poster. This looks messed up. Anyone out there listening from the distributors for this, please use this looks messed up 
Film File UK. We'll, we're happy with that. Watching that trailer, I've watched it three times. And there's so much going on in it that makes me go, oh, oh. And the cheese grater alone was enough to make <laughs> me go, ah, oh. Yeah, tattoo needle for me, the tattoo needle. Oh, yeah. I'm not good with needles anyway, but I never thought that a cheese grater could look so sinister. And now I can't even look at the cheese grater in the kitchen alongside <laughs> next to me without getting a chill down my back. It looks like my kind of horror. It looks really disturbing, psychological, but also twisted and bloody and brutal. I mean, we've got buckets of blood again. We've got the huge amount of blood flood, flooding through a doorway. It's Evil Dead. It is what we expect. Directed this time by Lee Cronin, who is uh, an Irish filmmaker, if I am not mistaken, behind. And I thought this was quite good. I don't know if you saw it was on Netflix a few years ago. The Hole in the Ground. Hole in the Ground, yeah. I thought that was before we started doing the show. I think we'd have probably talked about it. I thought it was a good start. So, um, yes, looking forward to this. And the other trailer. We spoke about this next film uh, when it got announced. And we were a bit like, not sure. Nicolas Cage is going to be playing Dracula, but the film's going to be about Renfield. Is there a film there? So when the trailer dropped for Renfield, I had to watch it. Yeah. Uh, a story of a toxic relationship. <laughs> yes. Uh, brilliant trailer. I love that it's a, it's a whole, you know, in barging into a help group to talk about a toxic relationship. And they're all thinking it's like a, a partner or a work working relationship and like conversing with him. And then it's showing flashes of him doing his tasks for his master. And then you discover that Renfield actually has kind of superpowers that have been granted by eating bugs, which we know that Renfield thought that if he takes life and he used to eat the bugs, that would give him the same kind of powers as his master. They've expanded on that. And Nicholas Holt looks absolutely fantastic, kicking ass. Yes. Things we would never thought we would see <laughs> from a Renfield movie. It looks fun. It looks over the top. It looks absolutely bonkers. And Nicholas Cage comes in, swans in, and just steals it with the final lines of the trailer. And I'm in. I am so in for this film. Yeah. This looks like a great horror comedy. And both of these films are both out in April. So April's a pretty good month. Yeah, hit the ground running. And I'm so excited about these trailers. There's been loads of other trailers that have dropped over the Christmas period, uh, but we're not going to delve into everything that I've seen. But they're the two that have most recently dropped. And if you've not watched these trailers, get them watched to get a taste of what to expect this year. So we mentioned way back in the heady days of 2022 that Tim Blake Nelson was to appear in Captain America, uh, A New Order. Anyway, it looks like filming's done on that because he's now joined the cast of Dune Part 2. Yes, uh, added to the ever-expanding cast of Dune Part 2 uh, in a role that we don't know who, who he's been cast as. Uh, we know nothing about it. We just know that it's another great name and a great face added into this film that is potentially going to be... It's potent, let's be honest. We'll say it now. We might as well record the end of year 2023 roundup <laughs> now and say that Dune Part 2 is one of the films of the year, isn't it? <laughs> it will be very, very hard for it just to, to disappoint. Let's quickly talk about uh, the sad news... He's getting better, but Jeremy Renner. Yes, this that was uh, came out of nowhere. I mean, the I've got friends in the states, and the weather situation there is is absolutely uh, appalling. This this weather bomb, this climate bomb that hit them. You know, people were uh, people were freezing to death. It was horrendous. Mm. But yeah, Jeremy Renner, he of Hawkeye, he of the Arrival, he of uh, the Mission Impossible series, had a pretty nasty accident by the looks of things from reports and this is reports like about jeremy renner in his home like in his the town that he's adopted as his home through the years 
he's always been very much helping the community and he's got a snowplow and every year he always helps clear the roads and he's he, you know he's he's basically one of the nicest guys in Hollywood and he's just so down to earth and so with all the snow flurries that have been hitting and it has been really solid around um, Washoe County he was out plowing and he had a slight accident with his snowplow that should have had safety mechanisms that would have stopped it from trundling when it's not got anyone sat in it but something went wrong and he got run over by his own snowplow, suffered, suffered chest trauma and various breaks. Uh, but he's been so, so positive spirited, posting out on Instagram from his hospital bed to thank people for the support that they're showing. And yeah, he's, he's suffered multiple orthopedic injuries, including like some spinal injuries, but he, he's out of critical condition. He's on the healing road and um, he's, he's just basically keen to get back to work. So it looks like he had, um, he had lots of lots of messages from his fellow Avengers and uh, uh, fellow Marvel brothers, and uh, everyone sent him some some lovely uh, lovely messages. So we'll join that and go, uh, Jeremy Renner, if you're listening, uh, yep. because we we know you're a big fan. <laughs> Get well soon, mate. Look forward to having you on the show. Renner will be seen soon in the second season of Taylor Sheridan's Mayor of Kingstown series for Paramount Plus, which was due for the press junkets this week, but obviously it's been cancelled. It's unclear if the new season's going to get delayed as a result. But no foul play is suspected. It's just genuinely considered to be an accident that happened. One of those bizarre, could have been fatally tragic, but thankfully wasn't accidents. And it's great seeing the support, not only from um, you know the people who've worked with him, but the fan community out there who've all rallied round to basically say that, you know, what a great guy this guy is. And, you know, we hope that he gets better. It's a shame that one certain fan community uses any post about it to then have a go at James Gunn. Because James Gunn posted out his support of him. And, of course, the Zack Snyder fans all started saying, we feel more sorry for Henry Cavill. What? You feel more sorry for someone who's now going to be starring in the Warhammer 40k movie as well as other things than you do about someone who almost died in a tragic accident. This is the problem with that, that toxic community. And so we shall leave them behind because this is not a toxic show and we just don't care. Yeah, we'll talk more about them later this month when James Gunn and Peter Safran actually announce what their plans are. Yeah. Because it's now getting close to that time and there has been some teasers. The new plan that they're going to announce will basically be a new start for DC following the past year. We've still got a few DC films coming. We don't know how many of them are going to be part of the plans going forwards and how much are going to change. There has been a slight change of stance on Ezra Miller as The Flash. DC are now quite open to the possibility. They've been sticking to the rehab. They've been changing the behaviour. They've basically been doing everything that they should be doing in order to improve their public image and also make amends for the things that they were accused of. Uh, so The Flash might not be the end for The Flash. We might see that version of The Flash come up later, which also suggests that Aquaman might still be a part of it, because it would be bizarre, given that Aquaman, the first film, was the biggest grossing DC film so far. It would be bizarre for them to then say, we're going to scrap Aquaman after Aquaman 2, because it seems like maybe you want to keep this character around. We don't know yet. The only thing that has been confirmed is the Henry Cavill news. Everything else is up in the air. Wonder Woman might be a part of the next phase for DC. Everything that was said before Christmas, we were saying it's mostly rumour, it's mostly speculation, pinch of salt. Seems like the pinches of salt 
needed to be taken in huge doses because James Gunn has turned around and dismissed so much of it. One thing that we do know, though, is that Black Adam has no future for the next few years, at least. Yeah, I mean, despite the presence of The Rock, both on the film and outside of the film promoting this, it didn't find an audience. Yeah, um, and also Dwayne The Rock Johnson also rubbed a few people up the wrong way by trying to powerhouse himself into the DC hierarchy. Um, He went ahead of people straight. He went past all of the producers to go straight to CEO David Zaslav to try to plan a multi-year plan for Black Adam and a Cavill-led Superman, which rubbed a few heads, such as Walter Hamada uh, and Warner Brothers film chief Toby Emmerich, the wrong way. Um, According to trade sources, eventually new Warner Brothers film heads co-heads Michael DeLuca and Pam Abdi approved a Cavill cameo in Black Adam, despite Emmerich in 2018 making the call that Superman needs to be recast. And Black Adam fizzling at the box office as proven that The Rock isn't as big a draw power and shouldn't be forcing himself on things. He also pushed for a producing credit on the animated DC League of Super Pets film, even though he didn't really act as a producer on it. He was just basically using his, his own inflated ego and his own presence to say, well, I'm really important to all this. Turns out he's not that important. And so he's now getting kind of sidelined away. I don't, I'm not sure. On, I, I'm waiting to see if anything ever comes from it. Also with DC, the scrapped Batgirl project. The directors of that, I've said that they're still open to work with Warner Brothers down the road and said last month that a condition would be that the movie actually needs to come out. That's not going to happen. And it's a shame. Did you see the more, more recent image of the Batgirl costume? I did. And it looked great. I am. Um... Yep. I, I'm I'm gutted for those guys because you put you you put two years of your life into making a movie, then to have that taken away from you, that really really stings. Yeah, it's a shame um, because they've written it off for tax reasons. It can't get released in any way, shape, or form. But it would be interesting to see if the Batgirl character does become part of the DC universe going forward in another project. There was also an, a rather amusing bit of unfortunate timing as well because Warner Brothers Home Entertainment have re- released a movie combo pack of Man of Steel and Black Adam that's available for purchase through various digital retailers. Not the best of times to do that when you've just (laughs) cancelled Man of Steel and Black Adam projects. But The Rock has finally conceded that maybe his Black Adam film wasn't successful and he's posted a whole message about having, having the guts to fail is a more important quality than the desire to succeed and to become famous. And he's happy that he still has that quality as his age, guts over desire. It allows him to take big swings Doing Black Adam was a big swing. It was a swing and a miss, but it was a big swing. And he said that last month, he and James Gunn had connected and reaffirmed that Black Adam will not be in their first chapter of storytelling. So it's possible that he could come back in the later chapters, but he's not part of the first chapter, which the first chapter is what Gunn and Safran will be announcing in the coming weeks. And I'm quite excited to see what they announce. Colour me very excited. Well, we've not had much in the way of Marvel news, but we've had one piece of speculation that's uh, been running ever since uh, Kristen Ritter was seen in a gym, having having had a, a selfie of herself wearing uh, a Daredevil t-shirt, uh, is this speculation that she will be returning as probably the best of, in my opinion anyway, the Netflix Marvel series, um, Jessica Jones. Is she going to be oh. returning to Daredevil Born Again? We do know from Charlie Cox that they are lightening up the character in his own words yeah. which we always sort of expected it would be great because i thought she was i thought she was fantastic as jessica jones one of my favorite comic runs 
uh, the original original series. So yes, I I thought that was it was an, an awesome series. So fingers crossed. That's all I know at this stage. One thing that we do know from Marvel is that it's looking possible that there might be a biopic of Stanley Martin Lieber, aka Stanley, who would have been one hundred. Yes, over the Christmas period. Yeah. But for those who don't know who Stan Lee is, get out from under that rock. What have you <laughs> yeah, been Why doing? are you listening to this show? But he's basically the architect of Marvel Comics. He, he was the company's primary creative leader for two decades, and then he became the figurehead. Their most popular characters were all tagged to him, and he's become prominent to the public consciousness through his little cameos throughout the Marvel product products of the past few decades. But to mark the occasion of his what would have been his 100th birthday, Marvel and the Walt Disney Company announced that a documentary is currently in the works about Lee's life, simply titled Stan Lee, and a short video on a YouTube channel revealed the project's existence. But there's rumours that there might actually be a biopic sometime down the line to also look at it. I'm in two minds about whether I want a biopic to come from Disney on this, for the simple reason that I, I love Stan Lee. Stan Lee was a big figurehead to me growing up with the comics, but I know that he wasn't the nice guy that his public persona kind of presented at all times i know that he had quite a lot of problematic elements and i've covered you know a few of them have been covered in some of the books that i've recommended through neat things over the past year and a half i don't want to i don't want a sanitized biopic i'd like something to explore both sides of it i'd like something to explore the conflict that there was in the marvel officers that he created and he cultivated by the way that he treated some of the some of the usually the artists because yeah. he would take story credit despite the fact it was the artists who were creating the story around it. doesn't mean that I don't like Stan Lee. I still loved the idea. He was an ideas man, but he wasn't a story, as much of a storyteller as people to kind of think. I always put it down into people like Lennon and McCartney, who had great songs away from each other. But yeah. the magic that Lennon and McCartney had together was what made their songwriting absolutely unique. And Stan and Jack Kirby and... The, Dozens of the other people that, that Stan worked with always work best together. Uh, yeah. Love Jack Kirby, but I don't think he did work that was as, as great as when he was working with Stan Lee. Yeah. Despite all the controversy of who owned what and who did what. Same with Steve Ditko. Yeah. There's that kind of magic that you sometimes need that one person to be an instigator for ideas. And, and to me, I think that's what Stan was. Um, I would love to have met him. He would have been high on my list of fancy uh, dinner guests. Yeah, uh, I think he would have been. Uh, but he was a showman and, yeah. uh, and did what comics needed at that particular point in its history because, guys, comics were nearly done in the 60s. People weren't taking them very seriously. And without them, we wouldn't be living in the world that we have now for geeks. Yeah. Kind of spinning off from that, he directed Werewolf by Night um, as his directorial story. debut. <laughs> Oscar-winning composer Michael Giacchino is now moving up to theatrical features. Yes, I can't wait. Yes, it's a, it's a reboot of a 1954 B-movie classic about man-eating giant and creatures. Them. I'm there. Oh, I, I, <laughs> them is one of my all-time favourite 50s monster flicks. It is tremendous. It's clever. It's smart. Um, if, if you don't know, the original story came out in 1954, directed by Gordon Douglas. It's basically giant irradiated ants are discovered in New Mexico and they quickly become uh, a threat. And it is brilliant. All done with practical effects, um, but it's smart. It's really, really smart and really 
terrifying. And there's been talks for years of making a, a remake for them. I've got a, a script, I think, by Bob Gale, who did uh, work with Robert Zemeckis on Back to the Future. And as Giacchino has said, there's always a movie in your mind that never leaves you. And for me, it's them. It wasn't until much later in life until I learned what it was about, the nuclear age, and what I love about them is exactly what it's called, them. So, fingers crossed, this is going to happen, but uh, he proved that he can, he can, the guy can direct as well as compose. Yep, them was the first big bug feature. It, was one, it wasn't the first nuclear monster features, but it was the first big bug ones. And we wouldn't have had films such as Tarantula, The Fly, Arachnophobia, King of the Spiders, Eight-Legged Freaks. Eight-Legged Freaks, what a film. <laughs> um, we, but we'd also not have had Empire of the Ants, and I think we're probably better off not having Empire, Empire of the Ants. But, you know, I'm all for giant insects terrorizing communities, using it to tell a social message at the same time. Giacchino says the current version of them is about immigration as filtered through the lens of an insane science fiction monster movie. And he's currently meeting with the writers with the aim of getting into production pretty soon. So this was never on my bingo card. The Gladiator sequel. I don't think it was on anyone's bingo card, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, Ridley Scott is working on a follow-up to the 2000 film. 2000? I know. It's 22 years old. Gladiator. Uh, normal People star Paul Mescal is in negotiations to head it up, with reports saying that the film's going to centre on Lucius, who's the son of Lucilla, who was played by Connie Nielsen in the first film, and nephew of Commodus, who was played famously by Joaquin Phoenix. It's expected to commence filming later this year once Scott has finished post-production on his currently running Napoleon biopic. I mean, there's been talk about uh, a sequel to Gladiator for 20-odd years. <laughs> and, uh, it looked like it was never going to happen, and then suddenly it's, it's going to happen. Obviously, they can't do a direct sequel to it because it's basically be two corpses lying in the middle of a Gladiatorial <laughs> arena. Hey, do you know there was, there was one script uh, written oh, by... Oh, The Afterlife, where he goes... He, he, he go, in his afterlife, he goes through battles throughout the centuries. Yeah. Written by yeah. Nick Cave. <laughs> yeah, I think that would have been a bit a step too far. This other one, which is basically just going to be another look at the Roman Empire through a different lens. Fine. There's plenty of stories you can tell in the Roman Empire. Um, Elite Battle Angel, which sadly didn't find an audience when it came out, but it built up a cult following. Never saw it. Well worth seeing. It's a great little dystopian future set film with a good bit of heart to it. Well, we might get to see it hitting streaming services for continuations, according to James Cameron. Cameron's all over the place at the moment because obviously he's a huge success with Avatar 2 and now everyone's like, oh, what do you want to green light next? And he's always been disappointed that Alita should have been more profit generating than what it was. But he said that despite his criticisms about the format for streaming, he wouldn't turn down the opportunity to make something for a streaming service. I'd love to be on it. I think streaming is an opportunity to do long form storytelling. And he sees Alita as a potential for that kind of long-form storytelling. And I'm all for it. I'd thoroughly recommend watching Alita. I will get round. I'll add it to the ever-growing list, but I will get round to, to considering it, yeah. HBO's due to start in the coming week's Last of Us series. Can't wait. As you know, uh, we've been talking about it oh, since we we heard it was announced. Uh, <laughs> Craig Mazin is the showrunner on it. I am so, so hyped. And it I'm literally counting down the days. I should have a, a Last of Us advent calendar. There's a thing. There might be one. Uh, but it, it could very well just be a one season and done, as the creators want to make it very clear they have no plans to unnecessarily stretch the story out beyond Good. the games. I'm kind of pleased by that. I, I mean, I don't know if they're going to do uh, Last of Us Part 2, 
which last time we spoke, you were still playing. I've completed it now. Enjoy I'm it. Now, I'm now working through the second time through. And yes, what a game. What a story. And what a, what a brilliant ending. Yes. I'm hoping that, you know, they might incorporate um, the second part into the season that we're getting. But as, as long as it's great. That's all I'm looking forward to is something that's going to be really, really great. Yep. Um, Mason has said that I don't have any interest in a spinning plates go on forever show. When it becomes a perpetual motion machine, it just can't help but get kind of stupid. Endings mean everything to me. And I completely am on board with this because we saw it with Watchmen. Watchmen was one season and done. And it works so well because it's not going to drag out unnecessarily and dilute itself. On the flip side, Walking Dead went on far too long. Yeah. And it just became, a, you know, you got to every season. It's like, oh, how many fake-out deaths are they going to do for this character this season? Oh, there's the fake-out deaths. There's the fake-out deaths. You knew that certain characters would never die. And it just became formulaic. The Last of Us would be given a disservice if it just becomes Walking Dead. It needs to be that tight, concise story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Oh, I'm so I'm so looking forward to it. Yeah. And I'm sure it'll make both of our neat things at some point in the coming weeks. We'll probably just combine our neat things. <laughs> yeah. We'll be talking about it when it happens on that show. And just a couple to round up on. Despite rumours to the contrary, filmmaker Eli Roth is saying that he's not being fired from the upcoming adaptation of the Borderlands video game. Remember the Borderlands video game? Yeah, we talked about that Oh, early last year. It's go- about to undergo two weeks worth of reshoots. And Roth, who ha- helmed the film, has handed over the reins to Deadpool and Terminator Dark Fate director Tim Miller to finish off. Apparently because Roth wants to get a project going for his Grindhouse mock trailer film, Thanksgiving, to get that released later this year. So he's asked Tim Miller to come in, do the reshoots, so they can move forwards. Whether that's the actual truth, we don't know. Because the last time... That's that's all we know. The last time that this kind of movie truth happened was when um, Zack Snyder nicely stepped away from the Justice League due to personal reasons to allow Joss Whedon to step in. And we know how that turned out. Uh, And I don't want to poke that um, Snyder Cup fan base (laughs) any further. And I just want to finish off with, um, this was quite a a nice bit of news because the first film that came out, the animated film, The Sea Beast on Netflix, was one of my joys of last year. It didn't make my top 10 list, but it was just bubbling under. Well, it's now been given the green light for a sequel. Oh, right. It was a nice little movie. Chris Williams is going to return to do the sequel. It's going to follow the story now that the monster hunter Jacob and his now adopted daughter Macy are trying to bond as a new family unit while continuing this new quest to no longer take out these sea beasts, but to dis- like to, to protect them. So it, it's got a reason for existing. And at the same time, he's also signed a deal with Netflix for another film which will be similar to Sea Beast in that he will create a completely cohesive world, but tonally he sees it set as like between Lord of the Rings and Princess Bride as a fantasy kind of epic film. He's one of those great ex-Disney animators. I mean, the guy worked on Big Hero 6 and he also co-directed Moana. He's got form and Netflix poaching him was probably one of the best moves that Netflix had. And it demonstrates how Netflix is so well committed to really good animations. And that is... The first news of 2023. So thank you for joining us again in the new year with The Film File. And if you want to know even more about The Film File, there are so many ways that you can keep in touch with us. But if you're not a subscriber, then why not treat yourself? You know, you've had a nice Christmas. You've been on the nice list. Subscribe to The Film File. How do you do that, you ask? Quite simple. Head over to your favourite podcast platform. Hunt down The Film File. 
hit that subscription button and remember to leave a like. Yep, it's that simple. And you will love us for it. If you want to keep in touch with us, you can do that via, well, so many different ways. Firstly, you can head on over to social media channels, search for Film File UK. We're usually on somewhere. I'll respond when I can get round to you. Um, mostly prominent on Mastodon, where you can find us, Film File UK, over there. And you can answer our Mastodon challenges directly there. Or you can get in touch with us the old-fashioned way. I say old-fashioned. Email. I mean, you could post me a letter, but I'm not telling you the address, so it might not get here. But um, do us an email. Podcast at filmfile.uk. Anything that you want to tell us about film, anything that you want us to share about film, top films you want us to explore as a deep dive, anything you're looking forward to this year in 2023, anything you loved last year in 2022, anything film-wise, get in touch. And you can listen to us every Thursday at 8 o'clock on No Barriers Radio. That's nobarriersradio.com. And now it's time for this week's Deep Dive. With James Cameron currently at the number one position with Avatar Way of Water, we thought the time was right to go back to 1994 for his American spy action comedy starring Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis. We're going to talk about True Lies. Mr. Tasker's office. Hi, it's Helen. Is he in? How is he in a sales meeting, Mrs. Tasker? It's not like he's saving the world or anything. See, this is the problem with terrorists. They're really inconsiderate when it comes to people's schedules. Could you press the button for the top floor, please? Hi, Helen. Harry forgot something back at the office. Whenever I can't sleep, I just ask him to tell me about his day. Six seconds and I'm out. Maybe it's just that you're not in touch with your feminist side. Harry! Uh-oh. What were you doing here? wouldn't believe me if I told you. Arnold Schwarzenegger stars as US government agent Harry Tasker, who struggles to find balance in his double life as a spy and his family duties, whose life is turned upside down when he thinks his wife may be having an affair with a used car salesman, while terrorists smuggle nuclear warheads into the United States. The film is a remake of a French movie, Le Total, but of course, this being James Cameron, it bears very, very little in the way of DNA with that particular movie. It shares a lot more DNA with things like Man From U.N.C.L.E. Yeah, There's definitely a whiff of Man From U.N.C.L.E. within it. The film was the third highest grossing film of 1994 behind The Lion King and Forrest Gump and was the first film to cost $100 million. James Cameron, after all, if anyone's going to do the most out of a big budget, you've got to give it to Cameron. So, uh, a lot of love for True Lies, Andy, or is it one of those a little bit like me that when it came out, I just thought, this is okay entertainment? See, when True Lies came out, this was right up my alley. This was James Cameron's answer to Bond kind of film that I wanted to latch onto, and I loved it when I watched it, and it's one that I've gone back and revisited. And yes, my love for it probably does have that tint of nostalgia glasses at times, but I do think that it holds up quite well. 
even today, despite there are one or two awkward elements within this film. And I'm assuming that's the representation of people from the Middle East. Yes. The Iranian subplot, which was very 90s, a terror cell led by Salim Abu Aziz, played brilliantly by Art Malik, threatening the US with strikes on US soil unless the military and navy are withdrawn from the Persian Gulf, is very dated. And it's it leads to some cringy moments, but thankfully it kind of plays for the humour of it and it has the terror cell not being as perfectly tuned as they could have been. And Art Malik brings a lot to the role to grow it and make it not feel as tragically dubious as what it could have been. And the other aspect is, well, it does lead to a really good dance scene, but the way that Harry Trasker treats his wife when he thinks she's having an affair is a bit bad. Yeah. He basically throws all his weight as a CIA operative to get her embroiled in a fake undercover sting where she has to seduce who she thinks is an arms dealer. And it's it's exploitative. It's a toxic relationship, surely. <laughs> but again, it's played with tongue firmly in cheek, and I think the cast just about salvage it from being too awkward within it. It needs to be said that Arnie in this is marvellous. I don't think he's been better than he is in this. He plays the co-roles of like this suave secret agent, Bond-esque. There's even like a homage to Bond with him getting out of a wetsuit and he's got a tuxedo on in the opening scene. Yeah, I mean, it's a real throwback to Goldfinger, isn't it? At yeah. that particular point. And uh, it was... At this stage, it outbonded Bond. This kind of emulated what people thought Bond should be. And then you've got Arnie doing the Harry Trasker, the civilian computer salesman. Boring, droning on about tech things, completely out of his depth when it comes to family relationships. And he plays it so well. And it's great to see that Arnie, could, in the right hands, with the right director, and we know that when he was with Cameron, he was with the right director because they had such a good working relationship. And Cameron got a great performance from both sides of this personality. And it makes it engaging that you start to care about, as he sees his family structure, he starts to fall apart. His daughter, played marvellously by the then 12-year-old Eliza Dushku, is getting rebellious and sees her dad as boring and humdrum and just any teenager does turns against what their parents does. But the interplay with his uh, rundown wife, Jamie Lee Curtis, who feels that there's no love left in the relationship, it all feels very real and very believable. Yes, he then does manipulate that and uh, twist it in strange ways. But like I say, there's a comedy element there uh, that just about manages to save it. I remember walking away from this is that Arnie could do the big action star and has always been pretty good in comedy. Uh, and I walked away with James Cameron knows how to stage explosive special effects you know a huge canvas but i didn't feel he popped on the comedy and it felt awkward when it was being played for laughs when it was being played humorously okay but when it was trying to go for the big laughs that's where i felt this fell down i mean the set pieces are stunning and, and as we've just said it outbonded bond at this particular point and and um, hence why it cost 100 million dollars but ultimately, it's several films in one, all trying its hardest to land. And, and, you know, whether it's going to be the big screen spectacle, the secret agent stuff, the home life stuff, it's, it's a very, very odd mix. And at times for me, it doesn't quite all fit together. Doesn't quite gel. No. Jamie Lee Curtis for, the, for me in this film, I mean, it's easy to focus on the, what is the now infamous scene where she's doing the seductive dance and strip routine which, yes, she looked amazing. Let's be honest, she looked amazing. But she plays the laughs in that so well. The, the pratfall that she does when she's trying to seductively swirl around the armrest of the bed and, like, falls flat. 
so perfectly timed. But only focusing on that kind of does some disservice to the rest of her role. She plays the rundown, getting into your middle-aged housewife, uh, not knowing where your life is element beautifully. But then over the course of the film becomes much more strong-minded and strong-willed, much like Sarah Connor did in the original Terminator. She grows as a character. She becomes something else and she becomes as strong a presence as Arnie is. When I watched this when it first came out, it was bizarre seeing Arnie try and trying to get away with being a rundown computer salesman because, let's be honest, with a physique like that at that point in time, no one was going to be convinced that you sell computer tech and you're nerdy. In this day and age, that actually hand, holds <laughs> up much better because uh, we've now seen you know, Henry Cavill building PCs on YouTube. So w- we now accept that people who are buff are just as nerdy as the rest of us. Yeah. But back then in the 90s, this was weird because it was like, there's no way that anyone will believe that he's a geek because look at him. I, I think it's it's the last act when they team up, basically, that yes. it becomes interesting for me. And that's when it becomes more Cameron-esque. But for a lot of it, it, it it's just these too many different components trying to work together on this this huge screen that that Cameron projects and you know he's he's never going to fall short of being able to stage an action sequence no one does it like Cameron and with the amount of money that he had available it's all bound to look impressive as as we're seeing with with Avatar Way of Water there was talk because it it did very well there was going to be a sequel and Curtis would return as would Schwarzenegger and Tom Arnold but Cameron was busy working on Titanic they talked about a 1999 production date. By the end of 1999, possibilities that would start shooting in 2000. And then it just sort of fizzled out. It kept getting talked about up until about 2005. There were some discussions in 2005 with initial plans then to film once Arnie had completed his run as governor of California. But the world at that point had moved on. And it was felt that in a post 9-11 climate, a comedy about terrorism might not land as well. That was when it basically got shelved completely. Um, re-watching this film this past week because it landed on Disney Plus out of the blue. And I've been saying for ages that this is a film that needs a remastering and it needs a 4K edition to really do it justice. And the version that we've got on Disney Plus is basically the DVD version and it could do with a remastering, but it still looks good. It still stands up well. The effects work is still great. And it's. I found it was just a joy to watch again. And I think it is because of the mix of the cast. I mean, not only have you got Arnie and Jamie Lee Curtis on fine form, but around them, you've got, like I say, the great Elijah Dushku at an early age, showing a really strong presence on the screen. Tom Arnold as Harry's partner, Albert, who I've never really cared for Tom Arnold. No. But he's the perfect comic relief in this because he's not over the top with the comic relief. He's just the right level of it. Uh, Bill Paxton, with his memorable experience, uh, appearance as a car salesman who's pretending to be a secret agent. And it's always great. It, any film that I got to see Bill Paxton in always got an extra star from me. And then you got Charlton Heston as Spencer Trilby, the leader of the like undercover oh, agency. Don't you mean Nick Fury? I, yes, I was just about to say that. He, <laughs> you look at this and just think, he would have made a perfect Nick Fury had they made a Nick Fury film at this point in time because he's got the eye patch, he's got the scar under the eye patch. He's Nick Fury. Yeah. Clearly, I mean, we know that J- we know that James Cameron is a big comic books fan. James Cameron has said many times that he he's read he read comic books as a kid and you can see that he basically created a Nick Fury character for this film. And I'd have loved to have seen him actually make a Nick Fury film. Weaker elements of the cast, Tia Carrera, she's just kind of there. Yeah. She was in a fair few things at the time. Her memorable appearance in Wayne's World lifted her into projects that maybe she didn't really belong in, and she doesn't make much of an impact. But the great Art Malik more than compensates for any 
diminished elements around it because he just throws himself into the role and makes for an interesting villain throughout. I enjoy it. It's got a very pantomime-like nature, making it for an enjoyable watch. Some elements of the effects could certainly do with that restoration and polish. But on the whole, this revisit, which is the first revisit that I've had in like about 15 years, it landed well. If this came out on Blu-ray UHD 4K edition next week, I'd buy it. Really? Because I thoroughly had a good time with it. It's something I might watch with the child, but I've seen it twice and I, I never feel like going back to this movie. I, I didn't have that much love for it the first time round. It was always kind of problematic in places, even though it's very problematic now. Interesting enough, we talked about a, a sequel, but there is a True Lies action TV series happening yes. in March of this year, uh, directed by Anthony Hemingway, um, written by Matt Nix, based on the film. Uh, the same premise, the series in, revolves around a suburban housewife who discovers her computer consultant husband is a skilled international spy, which leads them to saving their world and their marriage. So it sounds pretty familiar. It's been talk of a series before, originally with Mac G to helmet, but we'll wait and see. Um, there's nobody in the cast who stands out as much as Arnold Schwarzenegger. There is for me. Uh, Steve Howie is playing Harry Trasker. Now, I'm a big fan of the US version of Shameless. He played Kevin on Shameless. And he was also recently seen last year kicking vampiric ass in Day Shift as one of the Nazarian brothers. And he showcased what you can do action-wise. So once I saw his name attached to this, I was like, I'm in, definitely in. You've got Ginger Gonzaga of She-Hulk fame playing Helen. Um, I'm interested. I, th I think that, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they update it because, you know, like we've said, the Iranian terrorist subplot kind of is a bit dated. But it's worth noting that on the original True Lies, the Iranian terrorist plot line, which would have been the core focus of any other spy thriller, is the subplot for True Lies because the main plot is the family drama. The main plot is the the whole him discover his family discovering who he is and him discovering how to interact with his family and how to bring his family back together. If the TV series can emulate that and have the spy elements in the background while it becomes a family drama, I could see that. I could be really. I think it could be a really interesting series to watch. No, I, I can see how they can make it work. I really, really can. I think that soap opera quality will will work very easily on 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 weekly. TV. Uh, and now, as we know, it's so much easier to do big spectacle. James Cameron is involved as a producer, so it's got his seal of approval. We will wait and see. For me, True Lies, the original film, still gets a thumbs up. Uh, for me, it's it's a little dated and I like, but I, I'm, I'm never drawn to seeing it again. We'll have another deep dive for you next week. And now let's give you some reviews. So Andy, what have you got for us review-wise for 2023? Let's start off with This Is My Pick of the Week, and this is Piggy. Based on her award-winning short film, Piggy is brought to the screen by first-time feature director Carlotta Pereira, and it focuses on Sarah, played by Laura Galen, an obese teenager who witnesses a clique of girls who regularly bully her, being abducted by a mysterious stranger. When she's asked about events by the local police, Sarah hides the truth, and finds herself drawn into the attentions of the kidnapper. Piggy is a smart combination of comedy, drama, and horror thriller, and it is one that makes you question your own morals throughout. Sarah is played to perfection by Galen, making it easy to empathise and relate to her from the start, which allows you to then understand why she lets the girls be taken, and why she keeps quiet, and the moral conflict that she suffers from that point on. Sometimes, doing the right thing is not actually the easy thing, and this is a film that knows how to play with that concept. 
There's an almost grindhouse aesthetic to the film, and indeed, the slow build manner that leads to a sharp turn to bloody brutality at the end is very reflective of this. And whilst the sudden switches of genre that occur could have been jarring, it's managed and handled so well, primarily due to the strong central presence from Galen, that it all works and all slots together. Piggy is a chilling, twisted, engaging, and indeed sporadically amusing film that simply works in such a way that makes you ask questions of yourself at the same time. Entirely recommended viewing. I know very little. This film is not on my radar, so you've made it sound very intriguing. What else have you got, Andy? One which I'll, I'll turn you away from, um, and that's Medieval. Everything has changed for the worse. I need your help. If you choose to fight, you may die. Kings may be chosen by God, but they still make the mistakes of men. Are you insane? Pray for this kingdom. An English-language Czech film which takes the historical tale of, of Jan Ziska, a bohemian military commander who never lost a battle, and it focuses on the time leading up to his appointment as a military commander. Ziska, played by Ben Foster, is a mercenary who was tasked by Lord Boresh, Michael Caine, to kidnap the fiancé of ruler Henry III of Rosenberg to force him to keep his word and help get Wenceslas IV crowned as Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. The task puts Ziska and his close ones in peril, leading to them being hunted down. Director Peter Jackal's decision to focus on the early part of Ziska's life was a deliberate one. He was wishing to avoid simply retreading tales that have already been represented in other Czech films about the military leader. But maybe if he'd simply picked up later in the career, there would have been more story and drama to latch onto, because what we have instead is a bland, generic plot based on scattered notes of historical evidence padded out with musings about how Ziska clearly hated having to kill, and always seemed deep in introspective thought. We have two great actors, Ben Foster and Michael Caine, both phoning in, nay, faxing in, the most unengaging performances, clearly only there for a paycheck. And we've got action that is just dull, grey, and edited in a way that strips it of any thrill or peril. This is a gloomy-looking film. It falls into the trope of the Middle Ages always being murky. Surely the sun actually shone brightly at some point back in the past. And it makes for a dour-looking and utterly unengaging film, which failed to tap into the epic nature of the actual history. This was my very first film watched for 2023. Everything from this point onwards is just going to be so much better as a result. That's not excited me in any way whatsoever and you kind of wonder why you know you've got actors of that caliber taking part in in something which from what you've described anyway is is uh, very far below them one film that we have both seen and that landed on netflix this week is the pale blue eye up here there's a body Down, down, down came the hot, threshing flurry. Darkest night, black with hell, charnelled fury, leaving only that deathly pale blue eye.
as you know, and I have talked about it, my f- only foray into cinema as a, as a director was a musical version of the life of Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, you can see why it was a big box office success. He did very well in Germany. But it, it opened a door for me to become very intrigued by the man himself. He had a, a strange life and was a strange individual. I've got a lot of love for the film The Raven. I think it's a, a much underrated thriller. Sometimes silly, but I think it's interesting. So when I heard about this and I didn't know the book, I was intrigued. I do like Scott Cooper. I think he's a, an interesting director and his relationship with Christian Bale. They've got one of those defining qualities in the work that they do. They they accompany each other, I think is the best way to describe yeah. them. So the film is set in 1830. Uh, a cadet is murdered at the burgeoning military academy, now known as West Point. He's found hanged with his heart cut out. And the top brass basically summer uh, a constable, August Landor, played by Christian Bale, to investigate. While attempting to solve the grisly murder, the reluctant detective engages the help of one of the cadets. Uh, the brilliant yet very strange Edgar A. Poe, played by Harry Melling. Um, I think talking about this before we start our recording, we're pretty much on, I think, on the same page on this one. Running over two hours in runtime, it kind of struggled for me for the first about 40 minutes. It was, I mean, the, the cast were great. Christian Bale is, like you say, he works well with Scott Cooper. We saw him with Scott Cooper in uh, Hostiles. That's right. Which is great film. Absolutely brilliant. And I've got a lot of time for Scott Cooper's, I mean, Scott Cooper's given us films like Crazy Heart. He gave us Antlers in yes. 2021, which was a solid film. And so that's what drew me to it. Scott Cooper working with Christian Bale. This should be good. And yes, Christian Bale's great. And Harry Melling, Harry Melling, how far he's come since the days as Dudley Dursley yeah. um, in the Harry Potter films. He's got that kind of look and stance to him. It reminds me of Crispin Glover. I can see that. In that case, same kind of like, he's got that otherworldly kind of look to him. And it kind of fits for the Edgar Allan Poe kind of approach. And the rest of the cast are all great. Toby Jones, Timothy Spall. You even get Charlotte Gainsborough and uh, Gillian Anderson in there. Great cast. And everyone's giving it all, but this, it wasn't engaging me for that first 40 to 45 minutes. And then suddenly something happens in the film that sparked my attention. And from that point onwards, I was captivated. I, I, I pretty much agree. It's very languidly paced. Uh, it has an accuracy to, to the time period. Uh, the accents are kind of all over the place. On, on purpose, you've got this sort of uh, the beginning of the American accent and there's still bits of Irish and still bits of British within them. And it's quite discerning. Um, there's this sense that it's there's the mood that goes for it. This is a, a, a wintry, gothic movie. And yeah. the pace of it kind of reflects the, the era that it's in. There's no zipping around from location to location. This, this is people walking and gently understanding what's going on. It's very much a whodunit, but very much in the way of a character piece. I uh, completely agree. It looks great. Like you say, the period setting is well represented. And like you say, it's got a, it's a gothic horror or close to a gothic horror, while being a murder mystery at the same time. If I'd have stopped watching this after that first 45 minutes, I'd have probably dissuaded people from bothering to watch this. But this is a great example of the reason why I always stick a film through to the end, no matter how I feel. Because by the end of it, what I had delivered to me was a film that kept me guessing, kept me intrigued as to what the the story was, and then caught me completely unawares with the final act as to what had actually happened, but made it all make sense as it was going through. It was a smart piece of storytelling. It's adapted from the book 
by Louis Bayard. And I've not read the novel of it. I have heard that the novel has a lot more to it, but there was enough in this to intrigue me and to keep my attention for that latter half of the film. This is why you should never just disregard a film. Never walk out of a film half an hour in if it's not grabbing your attention, because sometimes you'll just miss out on something that is better than what it starts off being. I, I totally agree. And uh, while I was engaged, I started to feel myself drift at some point. Uh, if it wasn't for Christian Bale's fantastic performance, and even more so Harry Melling as Poe, which is an impressive screen performance who takes the oddness of Poe and all the, the, the physicality of Poe, yeah. as well and and makes him into an interesting psychic that I think I'd like to have almost seen be the lead in this story and it goes down at some point almost to almost hammer horror in one element but it's yeah. the final the final turn of the screw in the very last few minutes that suddenly you go this is an inspiring movie this is why I'm glad I stuck with it and it all feels that everything turned into that film that it ultimately became and uh while I can't say that I loved it, it's it's uh, it's a it's a gloomy film in in every way. I certainly enjoyed it and and certainly found myself thinking about it long after it had finished. So get that watched on Netflix right now. Andy, what is out at the cinema and due on streaming over the next week or so? Well, cinemas this next week. One film which has just come out. Um, which hopefully I'll get a chance to see and talk about next week, Empire of Light. Oh, yes, the Sam Mendes movie. I mean, this is a film that was basically written for people like me and you. It's set in the 80s at a small cinema on the coast, which is in risk of closing down, and it's what that cinema means to the people around it, and it's a love story told within cinema by Sam Mendes with cinematography by Roger Deakins. Well, you can't it's go my wrong. film. You can't go wrong. Um, we've also got the new horror film from Blumhouse, Megan, or M3 Gan. Uh, which we're hoping to both see and be able to talk about next week. And also Tar comes out, which I've been reading a lot of positivity about. So hopefully I'll get around to watching that as well. Over on streaming, it's not a film, but it's a TV series that we've been waiting for for a while. On BBC iPlayer, Our Flag Means Death, all the series has dropped on there. Oh, now. has it? I'm looking forward to that. So that's well worth checking out. Now TV and Sky. Crimes of the Future and Operation Mincemeat are currently on there. The Estate lands this week, which is a new Sky original. Maybe I'll be talking about Sky Originals this year. Maybe I'll just wipe them off the face of the <laughs> earth. I don't know. Netflix has a film called Dog Gone. If you're a dog lover, you might have a few weepy moments in this one. Amazon gets the new, the more recent Mortal Kombat film, now that Sky and everyone else have finished with it. So why not get it watched? And Disney Plus has The Territory. And also Ret Retrograde, which is a documentary that covers the last nine months of America's 20-year war in Afghanistan and has been getting a lot of critical acclaim. Well worth checking out. And that's it, folks, for our first show, our first proper show of 2023. And it's a pleasure to be back. But of course, we can't do a film file without giving you our neat things. And I've got a whole list of neat things that uh, have happened over the uh, Christmas period. But of course, and we're never going to change, it is tradition. Andy, what are your neat things for 2023? I've got a list of uh, neat things as well. So I'm going to cherry pick one of them for this week and then save another one for next week and then one for the week after, by which point I'll have more. This week, I'm going to go for a book called Slugfest by Reed Tucker. And I listened to the audiobook version read by Will Collier. And Slugfest is right up my alley because it tells the history 
of Marvel and DC and the rivalry between them over the decades. That sounds good. From those early days in comic formats with their little slide digs from the bullpen backwards and forwards in the pages of the book, the different approaches that both companies have taken to superheroes over the years, the times at which they've copied each other, the times which they ripped each other off, the times which they were using dubious tactics in order to cripple the opponents, and then the impact of the presence on the small and the big screen of both of them through the years. It examines and explores all of it in quite good detail. Not full detail, because I have read other things that have delved into it a lot more, but it gives you enough of a foundation to get an understanding of like how important comics became over the decades, what led to the downfalls of the comic industry in the 60s and then in the 90s, through this rivalry and how their rivalries sometimes helped the companies but sometimes crippled them and hindered them and why it still exists today only now it's online as people are arguing over the films which is better dc or marvel it doesn't answer the question as to who's the best out of the both of them because it's always going to be a personal thing but it does open your eyes to quite a lot of underhand tactics that were going on behind the scenes that you might not have known about. It's very interesting. Will Collier reading it is fantastic, a fantastic bit of reading. Slugfest by Reed Tucker. Pick it up in physical form or pick it up in audible form. Thoroughly recommended. I've literally just finished listening to the final chapter of it today on my way home from work. And that's why it's fresh in my memory. You know, I've got a credit left on audible before I cancel again. And I've been racking my brains as what to get. So I think you might have just convinced me where to go. That sounds right up my alley. Um, this is because of you. Uh, your recommendation your years <laughs> ago. Uh, as I said, we had friends over for New Year's Eve and uh, we played some games. And one of the games that we played is by Big Potato Games. And that is the blockbuster game. <laughs> so um, basically the golden age of video rentals is back. And this is a is a uh, while it's aimed at film geeks predominantly it's interestingly i didn't win because <laughs> it is one of those uh, uh memory games and it's just a, a a lot of lot of fun so basically you get three categories you play uh, in two teams and that can be a a team of two to a team of any upwards but we played uh, two versus two and it is just to say a lot of fun which harkens back to the golden age of of uh, home video rentals um in fact the board itself is laid out with the blockbuster sign right in the middle of, <laughs> of the game and it was a lot of lot of fun now i've got the rolling stone version which we found really difficult to play because the the people we're playing against knew nothing about music um and that hindered them so but but Blockbuster, we really got into, and it was a lot of fun. I cannot wait now to uh, to do another uh, another games night. You've got quick fire rounds. You've got to act out a scene. Use kind of it's like basically it's it's movie charades with a with a twist. A lot of fun, highly enjoyable, and uh, these guys make really 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 kind of geekish games, and I'd, I'd like to play more. And it just makes me think, well, I've got to entertain more this year so we can dig the games out uh, and, and just keep playing them. An absolute load and load of fun. Well, I, I can happily lend you a few other big potato party games, such as Herd Mentality, which always go down a treat whenever there's gatherings. So next time you have a gathering, let me know and I'll uh, lend you a few of my other collection. I will take you up on that, sir. And that's us done for this week. And uh, that's us done for our first show of the new year. It's great to be back. I was really missing this out of my life. <laughs> this is our little burst. I'd like to say it's our burst of sanity. 
in amongst the chaos of life. But actually, that w- with all the tangents that we've gone off on this show, it's our burst of insanity away <laughs> from the humdrum of life, isn't it? Let's it be honest. Is, we yeah. just have a laugh doing this. <laughs> yeah, it's just great to be back. Uh, yeah, I really missed it. I was listening to... Uh, the stuff that you put out over when you know, um, over the holiday period, and it was just it was just great to to keep up to it. But I've been looking forward to getting back into it. A little little trepidation. It's uh, uh, when something's as habit forming as doing this is, then um, um, you know it's it's is that can we keep it up? And clearly, <laughs> we we bring the right energy to it time and time again. <laughs> Pleasure to be working with you again, Andy. Uh, have a good week. And you, man. Um, and uh, hopefully we shall meet up to see a couple of films. Well, at least one film together, Megan. Um, I'll see you next week, Andy. But you can be in the van next time, because I've been in the van for 15 years. Mm. To watch it myself rather than staying around past midnight. Because I'm getting yeah. old now. I can't do this past midnight thing all the time. It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's... <laughs> it's hard when you've got to be up at 7 o'clock next morning. I'm almost well. 50. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm slowing down. Go. I'm trying to work out as well, because watching all the people coming in for things like Andre Ryu this weekend, I'm wondering at what point is it that you suddenly change your taste in music to want to listen to Andre Ryu? Mm, never. Because all, all the age group there are like 60 to 60s and 70s. And I keep thinking, well, these are the people who grow up in like the 60s and 70s. Yeah. These are the people who grow up dr- dropping acid, listening to the kinks and all of that. And then like the punk era. And yet now they're listening to Andre Ryu. So at what point do you suddenly have this nervous breakdown and suddenly lose all your taste in music? That's interesting. We were I was doing some <laughs> songwriting yesterday with my, uh, my songwriting partner. And uh, we were looking at this particular guitarist, a guy called Earl Slick, who was 70-odd. Yeah. And that's how you want to look when you're 70. Yeah. Armful of tattoos. Still rocking it. Just absolutely, you think, just doesn't believe that he's old. And it's absolutely amazing. It's bizarre. I mean, and when does beige suddenly become a fashion choice? Mm. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It always amazes me. It always amazes I, me. Like whenever we get into the, um, the senior screenings and the uh, dementia friendly screenings, and it's always things like the sound of music and stuff like that. And whilst they're good films, surely most of these people weren't alive when these mm. films first came out. So it means not. When I, when I get to my 70s and I'm going to dementia-friendly screens and OAP screens, I want Fight Club. I want yeah. E.T. I want Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't want, like, 1950s classics. Three, two, one. You're listening to No Barriers Radio, and you're listening to the first official. I forgot what the name of the show. <laughs> so this the first official. Start. I know, I know. Great start to 2023. Um, <laughs> When's those dementia screenings start? All right. <laughs> I'm not sure where to go from that. <laughs> this is what I've missed. This is what I've missed. This is why I enjoy doing this show. This weirdness it's, that we just both the, go off on one. <laughs> oh, the oddness of it all. <laughs> ah. um, okay, so uh, where's my box office and yours? Where's my box? Do us an email. Podcast at filmfail. Fimfowl, blah, 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 key. Podcast at word salad. (laughs) (laughs) 
podcast at filmfile.uk. 